Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most invigorating and interesting and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato or Dostoevsky or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks as you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the wisdom of... Coming up today, Byung Chol Han on fingers, phones, and the strangeness of Socrates. Turns out, uh, I recently, I recently became an atheist due to uh, due to a particularly potent two part podcast episode. These things should come with some kind of warning, I think. But thank Christ! Oh wait, can't say that anymore. Thanks to the great uncaring nothing. Thanks that I didn't hear an episode on the joy and benefits of becoming a eunuch. But I can't lay my conversion completely at the podcast doorstep. See, I would have I would have loved to have been on maybe I don't know, I maybe even would have added something to the the Nehemiah episode that I missed. Heroically, I'd actually read his stuff beforehand, but no amount of prayer was able to remove the snow that that barred my way from the wisdom of compound. I've never actually read the Bible or gone to church for that matter, but from what I've understood from YouTube and The Sopranos, it's that you're just supposed to be a good person based on based on your own particularly self-centered definition of what that entails, and then God gives you what you ask for. But no, Snowstorm ruined the Nehemiah episode for me, and now crystal clear roads for today's episode on Byung-Chul Han. A philosopher that really serves to expose my massive, massive ignorance. At risk of being too coy here, I haven't read any of his work yet. So what can I really offer in this intro? I can allude to certain mysterious life experiences that I can, I can offer up. I can offer up uh, an extremely limited, poorly pronounced series of Korean phrases. For example, I could go to a restaurant and order a fantastic dokboki or kimchi jjigae. I can say hello, annyeong. I can say a polite hello, annyeong haseyo. I can say hello on the phone, yubseyo. Oh yeah, I can also say annyeong haseyo santa harabuji, which I've been told is hello Santa Claus. Oh Christ, I don't believe in him anymore either. Thanks podcast. 
man, this really is a powerful medium. What's this episode going to do to me? Uh, I like how you think speaking a few words in Korean is some kind of suitable intro for today's topic. Man, is your prep work getting sad? Oh, and um, I'm so sorry I turned you into a Santa and God denier. I'm sure you'll get over it in due time. Okay, well, enough of whatever all that was. Let's get to the topic at hand today. So today we're going to talk about someone we already discussed briefly in a past episode. Byung Chol Han. Now, one reason we're bringing him back is because, quite surprisingly to us, he's one of our top most listened to episodes. So, this is for those of you who seem to want more of him. And the other reason we're bringing him back is simply that what he has to say is super, super interesting. Okay, so first, and as usual, a brief summary. So, Byung Chol Han is a South Korean-born philosopher, and he's currently professor at the Berlin University of Arts in Germany. He's written over 20 books on a variety of topics. He's a unique and a striking writer, as not only are his books very short, but he writes in an aphoristic or haiku style. Today, we're not going to focus in on one of his works in particular, but we're going to draw from a variety of them. All right, so let's get started then. Much of my thoughts and opinions developed, maybe unsurprisingly to you listeners, in kindergarten. And these thoughts, I've maintained most of them, all the way into my teens, 20s, 30s, and all the way to my 80s. They're not that well thought out, really. They're not that interesting. But I do live by the adage of, hey, if it's broke, what makes you think you can fix it? So, whatever. Like, for example, in between nap time and my turn at the Tinker Toys, I just sat there and I contemplated communism. And I could really only come up with the notion that, well, the thoughts of equality embedded within it seemed admirable, even noble in theory, any kind of practical application seemed, prima facie, doomed to failure. Then, sadly, I missed my Tinker Toy slot because I, I did a boom-boom in my pants. Sorry, Mrs. Wong. But my little accident and the ensuing cleanup time, it did give me more time to contemplate. This time, I focused my vision on the future, where... In imagined in the palm of my hand, I could hold a device, a device that would enable me to seamlessly communicate on a truly global scale, have access to a near unlimited amount of information and possible learning chances that would put the fabled library of Alexandria to shame. But much like my earlier thoughts on communism and the smell in my trousers, I thought there's got to be a downside to this. So, as I look down at my phone and I quickly find some fleeting validation from the 12 likes I got for the biting meme I posted, tell me, how could such a wonder device that I envisioned end up like my boom boom? Oh, I'm so sorry, dear listeners. I don't know what to do either. Um, let me see. I think your point here is that this smartphone idea of ours didn't quite turn out to be as beneficial to us as we thought. Am I right? Is, is it something like that? Well, if that's the case, then it turns out that actually we may have a connection here. Because one thing that Han talks quite a bit about are some of the problems with our phones and social media. 
more specifically, the negative effects that these things have on us. Okay, so one problem in particular that he talks about with living on and through our smartphones is that, well, in a sense, we're losing our bodies. Or we're becoming less embodied. By things like texting and living on and through social media, we avoid direct contact with others, and we strip communication of its physicality and its touch. As Han says, what this technology does is it dismantles the real. Even our relationship with our hands change, he says. And actually, before I touch on that, I should mention that this is something that Heidegger warned us about quite a while back, at the time of the introduction of word processing, in fact. You see, and I've mentioned this before in a previous episode, but part of Heidegger's concern with typewriting or word processing compared to simple handwriting is that it removes the work of our hands. Now, that might seem silly, but actually, for Heidegger, our hands are very, very important. And that's because they're the conduit to our world. They connect us to the earth. They're who we are. They're what makes us human. Okay, well, Han says something very similar. What he says is that digital technology is making our hands waste away. What's happening today, he says, is that we're, well, we're fingering things, not handling them. Our hands have been reduced to a finger, just tapping and swiping. Tapping and swiping something that is itself in the cloud and non-terrestrial. And there's no resistance, and there's no labor in any of this. As Han says, this fingering has nothing to do anymore with the hands formed of the clash of shovel with earth. Our hands have become obsolete. Nope, the digital human, he says, just fingers the world. Okay, well, that doesn't seem very good, does it? But Han's not done. No, there's a lot more that's uh, problematic with our phones and social media. So let me just focus in on one. Okay, so what our phones do is they create for us an imaginary and a narcissistic world. One in which we can enclose and cover ourselves uh, like a warm blanket. In this way, we eliminate all traces of what Han calls the other. As he says, the other does not speak via the smartphone. Okay, but what does he mean by the other? Well, the other is pain. The other is hell. The other is strange. The other is different. The other is, at the end of the day, not me. Well. What communicating through and living inside of our smartphones does is it serves to avoid the unfamiliar and instead safeguards a space for the same and the like-minded. It's a place where we can adapt the world to our own needs. It becomes our echo chamber, a place of narcification of self. Actually, you know what? Speaking of narcissism and echo chambers... 
This makes me think of the actual mythological story of Narcissus and Echo by the Roman poet Ovid. So, if you don't know it, basically Narcissus was this beautiful young man who was desired by anyone who saw him. And there was one young woman in particular, Echo, who really loved him. But she had a bit of a problem, though. She was limited in her speech to repeating what others said. So, not only was it not possible for her to speak first, but when Narcissus finally gave her the time of day and spoke to her, all she could do in response was to echo back his phrases to him. Well, so what's the moral of the story here? Well, it's that like the self-absorbed Narcissus, who only gets back from Echo what he himself has already said. So too, in real life, the narcissistic person doesn't fully hear what others have to say, but only what they want to hear. Well, this sounds a bit like the echo chamber many of us inhabit now, doesn't it? As Han himself says, our smartphones and social media draw us into an endless ego loop where we hear what we want to, and where we eventually indoctrinate ourselves with our own ideas. Now, we should remember something pretty important about the mythological story. What happened is that Narcissus eventually withered away and died because he couldn't draw himself away from his own reflection in the water. Now, this is the fate of self-love and comfort, isn't it? Namely, the world shrinks considerably and the bounty of life gets passed over. Well, so too with us and our smartphones and social media, says Han. Our horizon of experience and understanding becomes narrower and narrower until what remains of us is a shell of our former selves. Okay, but I want to briefly get back to this idea of the other again but in a slightly different context. Because for Han, it's actually a theme that permeates all of his work. So, this idea of the erosion of the other, or the elimination of the different and the disturbing, is not just something that applies to our world of smartphones and social media. It also applies to our thinking in general. You see, for Han, our thinking is becoming increasingly calculative, and practical, and informational, and data-driven. But here's the thing. Mere massive information, or what we might call Google knowledge, doesn't transform us. It doesn't rise to the level of genuine insight, says Han. So, well, what's the solution to this? Well, we need to bring back the other into our thinking. But what does this mean exactly? Well, okay, so in order to begin to answer this, let's talk about someone that we've all heard of. Socrates. And uh, be patient, I promise I'll make this relate. So, Socrates is of course known to most of us simply as this famous philosopher, right? But here's the thing. There were a couple of things that were even more important and more fundamental about him that we need to know. Namely, he was strange and he was a lover. And as we'll see, these two things are deeply connected and they underlie his philosophy. Okay, so let's take this idea of his uh, strangeness first. 
So, as a matter of fact, Socrates was considered so unique that his friends and disciples referred to him as an atopos, a word of Greek origin. Now, what does this mean? Well, what it literally translates as is out of place. That's what Socrates was. He was unplaceable. He was off the map, unclassifiable, and even disconcerting. He was just foreign to the world of most humans. And by extension, so was his thinking. That's to say, instead of legitimizing and conforming to what was already known, he showed how it was possible to question and think completely differently. As Socrates says himself in Plato's Apology, I care nothing for what most people care about. Now this is part of the atopia of Socrates. Or to put it another way, here Socrates exemplifies the other that Hahn talks about and that he thinks is missing from our thinking today. Okay, but like I said, Socrates wasn't just considered strange in this way. He was also strange in the sense that he was a lover, or under the patronage of the god Eros. And that's really, really significant. Actually, in one of Plato's dialogues, the Symposium, Plato seems to suggest that Socrates, as philosopher, just is Eros personified. Okay, but what do I mean by all this, and why is it important? Well, for starters, it means that there's something divine-like in Socrates, and so something out of this world. Now, that's another aspect of his atopia, or strangeness, or otherness. But it's not just that. It's the way that he talks to people and the words that he weaves. It's the intoxicating and the transformative effect that his arguments and speeches have on others. It's all charismatic and magnetic. Now, this is the consequence of love or eros. What Socrates is doing is he's breathing life into words, into philosophy, through eros. In other words, and as Han says, what Socrates understands is that logos, or strict philosophy, is powerless without the force of eros behind it. This is what made a thinker like Socrates so powerful and why it is what he said moved and unsettled people. It's because love and seduction animated his thinking. It's because Logos and Eros were intimately related. Eros, then, when paired with thinking, makes thinking something altogether different. It gives thinking wings and causes it to deviate from the norm, to venture onto untrodden paths, as Heidegger says. Okay, well... What Socrates here does is he stands for the other that Han thinks is missing from our thinking today. We need to bring Socrates' strangeness back into our world of the same and the calculative and the algorithmic and the predictable. We need to bring some critical questioning back into our thinking, some resistance, some disquiet, some uncanniness. Some flights of fancy and spirit moved by the beating wings of Eros. We need the kind of thinking that makes the world appear in a whole different light. 
couldn't we all use a bit more of that? listening to the wisdom of podcast if you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general visit wisdomofpod.com and as usual we love to read your questions and comments reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on twitter at wisdom underscore pod our next episode evil <laughs>